Hey, you betcha she did, listeners. Raina Rakiki here, your favorite host. Um, in case you missed the great news last week, you betcha she did can now be found on YouTube. That's right, YouTube. If you're on YouTube, just search for You Betcha She Did to find the juiciest tidbits from all of your favorite female entrepreneurs and leaders. It's a great way to get a fun piece of advice, especially if you're short on time. Also, if you're on YouTube, please subscribe. We have just started this channel and we only have a few subscribers and we want to build that up to at least 100. Once you get 100 subscribers, you are able to really personalize the channel and grow from there. And that is exactly where we want to go. One quick update on one of our past guests. A few weeks ago, we featured Laura Andrews of Sunday Dough, who makes the delicious artisanal donuts in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Well, she started her dream of creating donuts and making delicious donuts in January of 2023. So just a few short months ago when we were in winter, I'm happy to announce that Laura Andrews has now gone full-time making amazing donuts in Sheboygan. Yes, you heard that right. She has quit her day job and now is doing what she loves full-time. This just goes to show that when you have a dream and you whisper it out into the world, things can change. Things can happen. Your life can change, especially when you have a supportive community behind you. So if you see Laura Andrews out there, congratulate her. If you have not tried the amazing donuts at Sunday Dough, you are missing out. <laughs> Go to her webpage and order today. Today, my guest is another woman who had a dream and has gone out and made that happen. Today, I have new author, El Maristotter, who has created a dystopian novel that mixes Christianity with feminism. Now, normally I wouldn't put those two together, but after talking to her, it makes me rethink how women could maybe be elevated more in Christianity. And it's definitely something that is much needed. So if you are a fan of The Handmaid's Tale or books like The Hunger Games, you're really gonna like Elamari Stoddard's new novel, Tiny Tin House. Without further ado, let's get to the episode. Did she really do that? You betcha she did. Welcome back to You Betcha She Did, the podcast where female entrepreneurs and women who have paved the way share their wit and wisdom. Today, I have a really interesting emerging writer named Elmari Stotter, uh, who's local to Sheboygan, which I love, who's here to talk about her debut novel called Tiny Tin House. She also started a publishing company called Niffy Cat Press as well. So Elle, welcome to the Thank show. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy you're here as well. It's really neat to see people from the Sheboygan area um, being creative, finding that creative outlet and writing novels. So um, tell our audience a little bit about Tiny Tin House. Like what's what's the plot about? Tiny Tin House is essentially a story of a young woman who has been raised in a future United States of America. There has been a second civil war the country has split apart, and the part of the country that Marin has been raised in is a Christian theocracy. 
And so she finds herself in a difficult position after her stepfather kills her mother, and she has no safe place to live. So the entire novel is essentially about Marin's struggle with finding or creating a safe space for herself amid this society where she is just pretty much seen as a possession as opposed to a person. Ooh, I like that. That definitely sounds it's got some layers of, um, you know, like a futuristic dystopian novel with some uh, feminism built within that. Where did you get your idea from the novel? Was there something that inspired you? It, it kind of reminds me of The Handmaid's Tale in some sense, just thinking of all the political stuff going on Yeah, these definitely. Days. It's definitely like a case of uh, The Handmaid's Tale meets, you know, Christianity. Um, and it's interesting because the the genesis of the novel, this sounds so cliched, but it's true. The genesis of the novel actually was a dream. Um, it was the run-up to the 2016 presidential election, and obviously I had been paying a lot of attention to the news and the candidates and what was being said, and then that all kind of came together with my experiences in the conservative church up to that point. And so the, those two things kind of came together in my subconscious. And I had this dream about a future United States and just this warren of little tin shacks where people were living. And I, at the time, I thought, okay, I'm just going to jot this down. It might make an interesting story. And the next thing I knew, I had uh, 380,000 words which is, yeah, wow. <laughs> which is That's almost four <laughs> novels. Yeah. So, and it took a lot of work to get it to, to break it up and get it into a, a three or four book format. And Tiny Tin House is the first product of that. Yeah, I can imagine there's a lot of revising and editing that goes into that process, especially when you have so many ideas developed. Is there anything you'd hope to get out of this novel? I mean, just thinking of the state of women today and kind of the attacks on women's freedoms and choices. Um, I didn't know if you had a political side to it or not, but I'm just curious and I wanted to ask the question. Yeah, um, a lot of it is, it's a cautionary tale. It is kind of where I see this country going if... Christian nationalism is allowed to flourish. As a Christian myself, I see both sides of the fence. You know, it's like on the one hand, I understand this whole idea of, okay, Christians need to be a part of American society and they need to have influence. And, and on the other hand, I look at the Constitution and how the Constitution was written and the intention of the founders. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, this is not something that I see benefiting either Christianity or democracy. You know, this, this trying to marry the two is not something that will benefit either. 
And so that was kind of what was on my mind as I was writing the novel. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot going on politically with like the blending of the lines between religion and politics. I mean, especially since the United States is such a multi-diverse country in terms of religions. So Elle, I know you identify as a Christian feminist. Tell us a little bit about that. What does that mean? And what does that all entail? You know, it's interesting because there are a lot of people out there who will tell you that Christianity and feminism are diametrically opposed. And that if you're one, you can't be the other. And I think that is starting to change because, Woo-hoo! yes, yes. <laughs> we need Christians who are feminists, yes. in my opinion. Exactly. <laughs> so. exactly. And that started to change um, actually back in the 70s was the kind of the genesis of the Christian feminist movement. Um, there were... There was an organization um, that has morphed into um, what is known as Christian feminism um, now. And uh, there was a book written called All We Are Meant to Be. Um, And more recently, um, an author by the name of Sarah Bessie wrote a book called Jesus Feminist, which detailed kind of her experiences with, you know, the the church that she had been in and how her awareness that Christ essentially um, spoke of liberating women, not only in in what he said, but also in how he treated women. Um, The very fact that the life of Jesus Christ was bookended by women. The, the revelation of the Messiah coming was given to a woman. It was given to Mary. The angel came and said, you are going to be with child, and guess what? And then when Christ was crucified and was buried, Um, The first person to see him after his resurrection was a woman, was Mary Magdalene. And she was the one who was actually given the Great Commission. Hey, go tell the guys, which I suspect didn't go over very well with the guys. So, you know, there there are things in the Bible that have been overlooked and have been misinterpreted. And this is something that an author by the name of Rachel Held Evans addressed in her writings as well. Unfortunately, Rachel is no longer with us, but the way that she examined the Bible, the way that she examined a lot of our interpretations of the Bible— has really resonated with me and with a lot of other women and men who believe that, yes, there is such a thing as Christian feminism, and no, God is not frowning on equality. And so I think it's important that we have the conversation. I think it's important that 
we have a wider conversation in this country about the roles of women, not only in the church, but also in broader society. Because what happens in the church influences society to a very great degree. And I think if we're saying things like, well, women can be Women are not allowed to be in positions of leadership in the church, but they can be in positions of leadership in greater society. That's not a problem because that's not the church. To me, that's disingenuous because when we are raising our children, we're raising our children in the church. We're raising our children with these attitudes and these perceptions. And if we're raising these kids with the attitude that women can't lead in the church, how do you think those kids are going to respond when they go out into greater society and all of a sudden they're in the society where women are leading? How is a young man going to respond when he's told in the church that he has authority over women and he goes to work in a place where a woman is his boss? See, so what, what we've got here is we've got a psychological issue that is being perpetuated in the church that has an impact in greater society. And, and the, the major problem with that is it simply is not biblical. I'm going to get in big trouble for this. <laughs> but I think it's something that we need to address. It's something that we need to be talking about And it's something that needs to change. You Betcha She Did is sponsored by John Erline Photo. Ladies, it's time to put your best face forward. Your headshot should reflect the confidence and professionalism that you bring to the table. I understand that having your photo taken can be a little nerve-wracking, maybe even a little uncomfortable. That's why John Erline Photo is here to coach you every step of the way. With a gentle and supportive approach, John's expertise as an expression coach will guide you to a headshot that truly captures your unique personality and professionalism. Over 100 five-star reviews can attest to the fact that John Erline Photo has helped hundreds of people feel comfortable and confident in front of his camera. Myself included, I love the headshots I got from John. Everyone deserves to have a headshot that they love, and John is here to make that happen. Book your appointment now at www.johnerlinephoto, that's J-O-N-E-R-L-I-E-N-photo.com. Your image is worth investing in. Tell us a little bit about your writing habit. Like, have you always been a strong writer or um, is that something you picked up later in life? Well, it's interesting. You know, I've always been a writer throughout my adult life. I've always done copy editing, copywriting, not as much professionally as graphic design, which was my day job. But, and I've done a lot of personal writing as well. So when I started the novel, I really, you know, like I said, I really wasn't planning on writing a novel. It, it just kind of ended up snowballing as I wrote it. So my process really is 
I don't wait for inspiration because if you do that, you, you'll never write. You'll be right. waiting forever. Right. Exactly. It's, <laughs> it's just, you know, there, there is a certain amount of discipline that goes along with it. Um, and there is a certain amount of inspiration as well. One thing that I've learned is when I have an idea, I better write it down because I won't remember it later. So it's like constant note taking and then collating those notes together and taking an idea and running with it and seeing if it's something that's going to work. Um, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. One of the hardest things for me was learning how to take like an entire scene out of the novel without crying too much, you know, because you've, you've put like heart and soul into this scene and you've gone back and you've edited and you've polished and you really like it. And then you look at it and you realize it's not working. <laughs> and that is the really painful part. So, yeah. So what I'll do is I'll take the scene out and I'll paste it into a separate document. So that way I don't feel like I'm actually deleting it. It's still there in all its wonderfulness so if for some reason... I like that. Just kind yeah, of just tucked away in case you yeah, need exactly. it another day. Just tuck it away. And if for some reason I decide later that I want to bring it back, I can do that. Yeah, I think that's a really good rule of thumb in terms of any artistic work. Uh, don't delete it, but just store it somewhere else for later because, yeah, you never know when you might need it again or want to, I don't want to say mutate it, but, you know, change it into something else, but you have the bones there that you can use. Let's talk about the process of like, so you have your book written and then you're good. You want to publish it and promote it. What do you think is the most challenging part of that? I mean, it seems daunting, of course, because there's so many channels and avenues, but like, what have you learned in your journey in, in regards to that? That is kind of like the flip side of asking which one of your children is your favorite because oh. <laughs> because <laughs> which one's right, your least favorite which is most daunting it's it's all it's all daunting honestly i took quite a few online classes there's a lot of really good information on the internet about book publication which i have taken advantage of as much as possible one of the drawbacks is there's also a lot of scams out there. And so sorting through that has been very challenging. One thing that has helped me a lot are writing organizations. For example, the Authors Guild is huge because they have, um, you can get legal advice if you're a member of the Authors Guild. They have an online chat feature. You can ask questions of other authors to see what's worked for them and what hasn't. They can steer you away from the scams. So that kind of thing has been very helpful. Having that writer community has been enormously helpful. That's good to know. And is that is the Authors Guild something you just find online or is there like a local chapter in Wisconsin? You find it online. I'm not aware of a Wisconsin chapter. And if you're interested in doing traditional publishing where you're looking for the agent 
and you want that representation and you want to try to get your books into the big five market, you know, the Simon and Schuster or Hatchet or, you know, whatever big publisher you have in mind, um, you know, that is definitely and probably an easier route financially than self-publishing because in self-publishing, you have to pay for everything yourself. So you're paying for your editing, you're paying for your book cover design, you're paying for production of the books, you're paying for all of your marketing, you know, so that's something that you have to bear in mind. Whereas with traditional publishing, the publisher is going to be picking up the tab for a lot of that. That said, publishers are now expecting authors to do a lot more of our own marketing than we used to. So, and that's part of the reason that I went with, you know, the the self-publishing route as opposed to trying to go with the big five, because I was thinking, well, if I'm going to have to do my own marketing anyway and foot that bill, then I might as well do it all myself and not split the royalties. So we'll see how that works out. <laughs> you got to try and see. Well, speaking of Tiny Tin House, where can readers and listeners find your novel? You can find Tiny Tin House pretty much anywhere. I have published it not only on Amazon, but also through a a very large distribution company. Locally, you can get the book at Word Haven Bookhouse, which if you haven't been there, please <laughs> find it and go because it is an absolutely lovely bookstore. And yeah, she, Kelly, it's, it's Kelly has an amazing inventory and she is incredibly supportive of local authors as well as local other local businesses, musicians. She's created quite a, a wonderful, welcoming community there at Word Haven Bookhouse. So that's where I recommend you go if you want to get it locally. Elmarie Sauter, thank you for being with us today. In the show notes, I will have links to your novel and ways to contact you. As always, if you like what you're hearing on You Betcha She Did, don't forget to subscribe to the show, share it with your friends, and leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. The more positive reviews we get, the more people we reach, and the more we can support these amazing women entrepreneurs and leaders. Until next time. Besides being the host of You Betcha She Did, I am also the brains behind the Ladies First digital media company, which amplifies women's voices through podcasts and YouTube channels. If you are a woman business owner, a coach, or a thought leader, you should seriously consider starting a podcast or YouTube channel to grow your business. This is a surefire way to find and grow your niche audience, and there's no time like the present to get started. As an experienced YouTube and podcast producer, I can help you launch your show, manage it, as well as help you grow it through proven strategies. If you want to know more, set up a 15-minute discovery call with me, Raina Rakicki. Check the show notes for the link or visit my website at www.ladiesfirstdigitalmedia.com.
www.thepodcastmarketingmusicgroup.com. Now's the time to get your voice out there.